started out as a baby knowing nothing. If you, if you want to say that you knew something, you knew how to cry. You knew how to get what you wanted. We didn't even understand or know how to uh, control our bodily functions. That's how much we knew as a baby. But as we went through life, we started to grow and we started to learn. Some things that we learned, we learned because somebody told us. Some things we learned by experience. Uh, here's some things that I have learned because somebody has told me. Uh, the distance between the Earth and the Moon uh, is between 252,000 miles to 225. I guess that's opposite. 225,000 miles to 252,000 miles, depending on how far away the Moon is. Has anybody experienced that? Anybody got a uh, spaceship? No, Dana hasn't. <laughs> um, I, I've heard that you can boil a frog to death. You put him in cold water, you, you turn up the heat, and he'll stay in there like it's a hot sun until it's too late. I've never experienced that. I just know because someone's told me. Um, I've heard that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I, I wasn't there. I just, somebody told me that, so I believe it. So I learned by somebody telling me something. But I've also learned lots of things by experience, which I'm sure you have as well. I've learned one time how, how embarrassing it is to get a speeding ticket, right? Remember I told you that like a year and a half ago? I didn't like that. I learned by experience. People have told me, you see it in the movie, it's not the same thing as when you actually go through it. Um, I've learned that I can't fly. I jumped off the roof and I hit the ground. I, I, something I learned by experience. Um, I, I've learned that it hurts to cut yourself with a chainsaw. I did that. My right knee, I got uh, a scar right above my right knee. But I learned that by experience. Now when it comes to things in the Bible, uh, let me ask you, why do you know what you know? For example, um, do you believe salvation is only through Jesus? Anybody here want to say, yes, I believe salvation is only through Jesus? Okay. Um, do you believe you cannot lose your salvation? Anybody want to say, I believe I cannot lose my salvation? Uh, do you believe God is ruling control of this crazy and sad world? Anybody say, God's ruling control? Now let me ask you a question. Why do you believe that? You don't have to answer that part, but just think in your mind. Why do I believe what I say I believe? Is it because somebody told you this? Is it because some preacher up here got up and said it? Or your Sunday school teacher told you? Or because your parent told you these are the facts of life? Is it even because Dr. David Jeremiah said it? And so we know, I mean, he's a very, very accurate person. He probably could take anything he says to the bank. But is that why you know it? Because he told you? Or do you know it because you saw it for yourself? Because you followed along in the scriptures when it was being taught to you. Uh, because you read it, read it. Can you turn that down a little? Okay, because you read it for yourself uh, that you saw it. Because you studied it out. You need really to know it for yourself. Even if somebody tells you, you need to be able to look in the scriptures and say, yes, this is why I believe I can't lose my salvation. This is why I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. Because kids, your parents, or Dr. David Jeremiah or your Sunday school teacher, are not going to always be there to, to back you up and say, this is why you need to believe you can't lose your salvation. You need to know because at some point in your life, people are going to challenge you about what you believe and why you believe it. That is if they know that you believe something. For example, if I want to know something about the Dallas Cowboys, do you think I'm going to ask Scott, or do you think I'm going to ask Selena? I'm going to ask Scott, right, because he's the expert on the Cowboys. If I'm going to learn about ranching, am I going to ask uh, Caleb or am I going to ask any number of the ranchers? I'm going to ask the ranchers, right, because I know they know because their whole life 
uh, screams this, right? They, they go out there in the, the cold, and they have the calves, and they do all the work, and I know that they know their stuff, so that's who I'm going to ask. And if people know that you're a Christian, they know that you go to church, and then they have a question about something that you believe, they're going to come talk to you. And that's what we're going to see, first of all, here, is you will be questioned about what you believe concerning Scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20, verses 20, uh, 27 to 33. And Jesus he gets to experience this. He has people who are coming to him to try to stump him and ask him a question. Luke chapter 20, verses 27 to 33. It says, Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teachers, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second one, and then the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Verse 32, finally the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Kind of an interesting question we're going to have to look at. Okay, so the people who are asking this question are the Sadducees. They are members of a Jewish rel religious sect uh, where the high priests were chosen from. They were very politically involved. Part of their job was to keep peace between the Romans and the people, between the people and the Romans. And these guys were very well financially off. You guys remember when we read about Jesus uh, storming the temple and tipping over the money changers' tables and, and driving out the people who were selling the cattle for the, the sacrifices? Well, he was driving out the Sadducees. They were the people who were in charge of that. And you remember, these guys made lots and lots of money by doing that. They, they exchanged money at a very high rate uh, so that they made uh, a lot off of it. Not very nice people, not the kind of people you would invite over for a holiday meal or, or to want to be as your best friend. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian of the day, said they were more heartless than any of the other Jewish people. Pretty, pretty quite the reputation that these guys had. Okay, so we know a little bit about those guys, and these guys only believed the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the only thing they took as scripture. They would throw out the prophets, they'd throw out the history, they'd throw out the, the poetry, anything else in the Old Testament. They didn't follow, they wanted nothing to do with because they did not believe uh, that it was meant for them. You find in verse 27, these guys believed that there was no resurrection. That meant if somebody died, that was it. They, didn't, they, they, they just went to the ground, became that the, the warm food, and then the, the circle of life continued. They didn't believe that they ever faced judgment. There was no heaven. There was no hell. You just lived the life that you lived, and that was it, which makes it easy to kind of figure out why these guys could be so heartless and so ruthless with their money because they thought, I don't have to answer to anybody. All I got to do is take care of myself, follow the law for whatever reason, and I'm going to be just fine. If you read in Acts chapter 23, verses 6 through 8, you find out that they did not believe in the angels or the spirits either. It was pretty much just this life was all you have to live, and that's it. And you could probably think of people in the world that would fit that category. They won't call themselves Sadducees or anything like that, but they, there are a lot of people out there who are living as if this life is all there is. There is no uh, accountability. There's no life after this. I just go into the ground, and that's it. Just like uh, my poor dog, if he ever passes away, that's all there is to him. There's nothing else. And these guys start asking Jesus a question. And this isn't just some random question. This is a question that's based off of something in the Old Testament, based off of the law, and they're trying to stump Jesus. Now, it's a question that 
Uh, according to a commentary I read, that these guys have posed to lots and lots of Pharisees, and they have stumped them. Uh, and it's about the resurrection from the dead. And these, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, have not been able to solve this question. Which, when you fast forward here to verse 20, uh, 39, you find out that these guys were applauding Jesus because finally somebody was able to stop these Sadducees uh, to stump them. It says some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. Like, finally, we put these Sadducees in their place. But these Sadducees are going to their religious people and they're asking them a religious question because they're expecting them to know the answers. And this law, you find in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 6, that has to deal with the same situation. It says, if, a brother, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of the, of the brother-in-law to her. Uh, the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blighted out from Israel. So they're looking at the book of the law. They're looking at some Old Testament example, and they're saying, okay, we, have, we don't have the correct understanding of this. Let's see if you can prove it to us that there really is this resurrection from the dead. And this was known as the Leverate Law, which obviously was going to provide for the widow. Back in that day, if you were a widow and obviously your husband died and you don't have any kids, you have, you're out of luck. You, you can't go out and get a job. You don't have people who are going to really help provide for you. That was kind of the necessity of having kids who are going to help take care of you. But also, it meant that, uh, maybe to make it easier, um, my, my brother, he passes away. He has no kids. Uh, my sister-in-law, Michelle, um, needs someone to take care of her. I marry her. And then the firstborn son that we have between us carries on my brother's name as if it's his kid. Okay, so you kind of understand that's the, the way the law worked. Now, these guys get a little ridiculous about this because they say if there are seven brothers, and this keeps happening, this poor woman who keeps marrying brother after brother, and they finally die, uh, and then she finally dies, and they're asking them this Jesus' tough question. Whose brother or whose husband is she going to be at the, at the end of the resurrection? They're trying to stump him. If they're trying to stump Jesus with a, a question based off of what the Scripture says, People today are going to try to stump you, or they're going to try to question you about what you leave based off what you believe based off of what Scripture says. Parents, your teenager might come and ask you, "Mom and Dad, how do you know that I can lose my sal I can't lose my salvation because the internet says I can, the books say I can, and so do you have an answer to give them? Your neighbor might want to know how you can know Jesus is the only way to heaven." when he hears on the radio that we are all considered children of God. Your, your co-worker might want to know, how, come God is, how, come you, how can you say God is so good when I just lost my loved one that didn't deserve to die? They were a good person. People are going to come and talk to you and ask you a tough question about what do you believe and what are you going to tell them? My Sunday school teacher told me or Dr. David Jeremiah told me or are you going to be able to answer for yourself? And these questions can come from all over the place, um, even from some unexpected sources. Uh, one day I was <clears throat> minding my own business in my house, and I either had a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness show up at my front door. And they started giving me their literature and trying to explain to me what they believe. But this one guy uh, acted a lot differently than I've ever experienced with these guys. And he started asking me questions. Like he really wanted to know uh, what I believed and if, if what he believed was wrong and could I prove it to him. 
not because he's trying to be antagonistic, but because he, he just said, um, I want to know what the truth is. And I think he's a guy who's searching for answer. He grew up in a Methodist home, and uh, his family was so dysfunctional that somehow he just got hooked in with this Mormon or Jehovah's Witness group, and he's trying to do what he's supposed to do, but he didn't sound real convinced. And so we had our discussions to try to prove what does the scripture really say, and he still had his own views, and we, never, we're, we didn't get any farther than what we started with, but the thing was, he wasn't just trying to push information on me. He was trying to ask me because he really wanted to know, and he felt like I might have the answer. Even a little Elise Losing, which I was kind of hoping would be here, uh, four or five times in the last two years has come up to me and asked me a pretty tough question. I mean, she's like six or seven years old, and she wants to know things that, that I've never been asked by adults. And so I, I could just give her an answer that because I'm an adult and just fluff it up and just convince her because she's accepting what I'm saying is true, or I can tell her this is what the scripture says. And so I do the best that I can, but I don't expect that from a six-year-old. I mean, they're expecting, hey, can I have a candy if I shake your hand? There's gum in the back, you know? They're expecting that kind of thing, not these difficult uh, theological questions that she's posing to me. So they can come from anywhere. They're going to come from your coworkers. They're going to come from your kids. They're going to come from somebody of a different faith somewhere in life. And some people are going to be genuine. They want to know, can I lose my salvation? Is Jesus the only way? How can you say God is good even though life is turning out the way it's turning out? But sometimes people aren't going to want to be nice about it. They're not going to be happy and really care about the answers. They might be antagonistic and, and looking for a spiritual fight. And I have experienced that as well. Uh, back in Davenport, I had a youth group kid, a really good kid. I don't know why he ever showed up. Uh, because he always brought his dad, and uh, the kid without his dad would, be, would try to engage, and he would try to have fun, but as long as his dad was there, he'd kind of sit there and act like everything was dumb. Well, one day, this dad, uh, he got in a conversation with me after youth group or on a different night of the week, and for like an hour, he tried to convince me of everything that he knew. Um, he asked me, could I lose my salvation and why I thought that, and then he went on to tell me about why he thought he could, and he had scriptures, and he just went on for a whole hour, and it wasn't this guy wasn't asking because he was really searching for an answer. He was looking for a fight. He was looking to prove everything that he knew, and that's, that was not a fun situation. I mean, I'm, I'm like uh, a scared kid uh, compared to this guy. He's, he's like 10 or 12 years older than me, and getting into this kind of discussion, I don't argue well with anybody. I, I, I don't argue well with my wife. I don't argue well with my kids. I don't argue well with facts. You know, I just, I just think at that kind of thing. So you might find yourself in a situation just like that. Anybody say, that's a situation I'd like to be in? I would like people to come ask me questions, especially if they want to be ornery and looking for a fight. Not me. I don't, I don't enjoy it any more uh, than anybody else does. So what do I do about that? Well, some people decide to leave the situation. They ignore people like that. Uh, but the smart thing, and the thing I want to encourage you to do, is to prepare yourself so that you know the answers to give to somebody. You started out as a baby. You knew absolutely nothing about anything. You started learning how to write, how to read, uh, what, what, what happens when I put these two wires together, right? You started learning these things, and you know it now. So I would encourage you to do the same thing with these difficult things in the Bible. Read your Bible. Okay, that's the first thing. It's just reading through it, and just keep reading through it. Uh, search out those tough answers. If, if, you, uh, if you think someone might ask you, can I lose my salvation? 
or you're afraid of somebody asking you if you can lose your salvation, but you really can't prove it, guess what you can do? Ask it. Ask the question. Start searching out the scriptures to see what does the Bible say about losing my salvation. You can talk to each other. Like today over lunchtime, I, I, kids, I, I challenge you to ask your parents or each other or husbands, ask your wives, can I lose my salvation and why, why do you think that? Or stump them with some tough question. <laughs> they might do it back to you, but it, it's, worth, it's worth discussing. It's worth talking about. Uh, you can read reliable books that talk about it. And I have some. I have, I have like five or six books I kind of keep going through. Uh, TMI probably in the bathroom by the nightstand, right? And I just keep reading these things. And I don't remember these things, so I keep reading them. And I keep reading them, and it starts to, to stick in my mind. Uh, there's good websites that you can go to. The two that I will recommend is karm.org uh, and uh, gotquestions.org. Can I lose my salvation? Gotquestions.org. And it's a good, reliable source that will give you verses, that will give you a defense to kind of help you to do those things. Um, you can memorize scriptures. I, I oftentimes carry around these three by five cards. It has verses. Why can't I lose my salvation? And in case you're curious, uh, 1 John 5.13, these are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, John 3.16, for God, forgave the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And there's lots of verses like that, but I carry them around in my 3 by 5 cards. And I'm, I'm, I'm challenging myself and I get harder questions just in case because I don't remember. I have to go over it and go over it and go over it. And I know that's not something that people get excited about, but it's something that it will work. So you're, you're going to find yourself in a scary situation. Sometimes you're not going to know the answers, but sometimes you can. You can help yourself out by preparing yourself. And what you believe, make sure that you're backing it up with scriptures. You've prepared yourself, so now you can vocalize it. So now you can say, this is what scripture says. Not Dr. Dave Jeremiah, not my Sunday school teacher, not my parent, but this is what scripture itself says. And that's what we find Jesus doing here. He backs up what he believes with scripture. Verses 34 to 38. Um, I'm just going to read 34 to 36 at the moment. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given it in marriage. But those who are considered worthy take, of taking part in, this, in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given it in marriage. So the first thing that I want to point out that Jesus did is that he engaged in this conversation with these people. Well, which obviously it's going to be a lot easier for Jesus because he knows everything. But he chose to, to get involved in this conversation. When we find ourselves getting stomped or people coming to us to ask us questions, it's easy to avoid the answer. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to, to try to push them off on somebody else. If you don't know, that might be okay. But it's still a good idea to make sure you know what you believe and why. And so Jesus starts a conversation with these people. And he says, uh, those, he said, the people of this age are the ones who are given in marriage. You know, so you picture uh, a very sweet romantic wedding day. You, you picture this really nervous guy up here. He's wearing a tuxedo. His hands are all sweaty. And the music starts playing, and some pretty gal comes walking down the aisle. Everybody stands up and oohs and ahs and everything. And they come up here, and they're standing there, and they give each other their vows, and they're all in love. And, and they, they say their commitments, and then everybody goes off, and in an exciting day, that's the kind of thing that happens in this life. 
People get married. People are giving away. The, the dad's wiping a tear as he's giving his daughter to this guy he doesn't know is worthy of uh, his daughter's hand, right? That's kind of how that goes in the people of this age. But that's temporary. That is not how it's going to be in heaven. So I just want to remind you lovebirds out there, make sure you do all the hugging and kissing you can now because when you get to heaven, that's going to be next. That's not happening, okay? It's, it's just not the same way uh, up there. It says in the age to come, people aren't married. People aren't given in marriage, right? That's, that's not the way, the, works, uh, the way it works up there. In the age to come, it's not going to include everybody. It's only going to include those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead. To be counted worthy means to, uh, as, it means to uh, be entirely, deemed entirely worthy. And those who are considered worthy are only considered worthy because they are God's children. That's, they're only considered worthy, not because they were Jews, not because they followed the law as best as they could, not because they were good people, but because they were God's, per, uh, God's children, because of uh, their faith in Jesus and, and through his blood and sacrifice, and because Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, people put their faith in him, in Jesus, and they become God's children. It says, in that, again, in that age, they'll be like the angels. They won't be married. They won't be given in marriage. There will be no death. They will live eternal lives. The angels never got married. They never procreated. That was never part of their being. They never died. They lived forever. And they had eternity to worship God. And that's what it, way it is going to be for us. And the age for these people that Jesus is talking to uh, is, is eternal and it's guaranteed and it's something that he wants for them. But it's the same thing he wants for us and the requirement is exactly the same. We have to become the children of God in order to experience this eternal life. We don't have to re rely on our own righteousness. We don't have to rely on the fact that we were members of a church. We don't have to rely on the fact that we did enough good things. We only obtain this righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do, we become a child of God. So let me ask you a question. Are you a child of God? Have you put your faith in Jesus, trusting him alone for your salvation? And have you, done, uh, have you made an effort to try to help other people to become a child of God? Because that's the only way they're going to make it into heaven. Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who put their faith in Jesus, boom, you're in the family. right? You get eternal life. Uh, you become a child of God. You, uh, that's, that's why Jesus came, was to make you child, uh, a child of, of God. When it comes to people that you... You look out in the world and you say they are not a child of God. Are you willing to engage in those conversations? Yes, the more they get to know you, the tougher the questions they're going to ask you. But they need to know those questions. They need to have a place that they can ask those questions. Because if they don't, if they don't know you, if they if they can't get the answer from you, where are they going to go? They don't know to go to Bible, uh, GodQuestions.org. They don't know where they're going to find it at in the Bible. They're just going to take any kind of source that they can get and say, okay, well that must be true. Because everything on the internet's right, right? So if they Google, can I lose my salvation? And the site says, heck yeah, you can lose it. And you can get it back as many times as you want. They're going to just assume that's true because somebody says so. They need to know that they can come ask you. And they need to know that you're going to give them a straight answer about that. And the second thing Jesus did was he backed up what he believed about the resurrection uh, with scriptures. Verses 37 to 38. 
It says, but in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, and to him all are alive. So if you go to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, you find out uh, Jesus is talking about the only authority these guys will accept. Right? These, these guys are accepting the first five books of the law. Exodus is the second book. He says, okay, here's your guys' proof from what you will accept is true. In Exodus chapter 3, 6, A, he gives them the, the answer that we kind of see here already. It says, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know, he could have said, I was the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. But he says, no, I am the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. Meaning what? Right? It means that it's now. If he says, I was, and it says, okay, back a long time ago I was the God. Sorry, they died. So I'm not really their God anymore. Or uh, we, we, quit, we quit this relationship. Or somebody has moved so I don't know them anymore. But he's saying, no, I am. Meaning they are still alive. These guys rose from the dead. And now they're in paradise. Jesus, or God's saying, I am the God of them now because they did in fact rise. And here's your proof from Scripture, from the Old Testament. He didn't just spout it out. He backed it up with what he said. The point is, is this that simple, that Jesus went to the Scriptures. That's the point I want to get from this, is he went to the Scriptures to prove to these guys what, they, uh, what was really, in fact, true. There was lots of other Old Testament scriptures that would prove that uh, the dead do in fact rise. I've, I wrote down the references. I'm not going to read them all. I'll just read one. Uh, Job chapter 19 verses 25 to 27 says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh will I see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job is saying, I know, even from the Old Testament, that this is not all that there is. This life is not all about living and then dying and then hoping my name stays in a history book. This is about what I do now has an impact for what is going to happen later. The New Testament has lots of references about uh, the dead rising again. Just one of them is John 5, 28 and 29. It says, do not be amazed at this. For a time was coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. All, everyone who's in their grave from the history of the world that's in the grave is going to hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. People are going to spend eternity alive in heaven, or they're going to spend eternity in hell. Life does not stop at the point that you take your last breath. It continues. Yes, your body dies. It goes into the ground. Your spirit goes to heaven, or it's going to eventually make it to hell. We need to make sure that we can back up what do we believe with scriptures. It's not hard to spout my opinion. It's not even that hard to remember what Dr. David Jeremiah said, or my parents said, or my teacher said. We need to make sure that we can show from scripture why do we believe what we, we believe. Yes, that takes a heck of a lot of work. It takes a heck of a lot of time, but it's worth it. Pick one thing. What do I want to know? And study it out. Search it out. Talk to people. Get in your concordance and see what you can find. Um, in our Sunday school class, we're looking at how to study through the Bible. Our, our, like We're picking a passage, and we're trying to look and say different versions of the Bible. What does the concordance do with this? What is... What do these different Greek words mean or the Hebrew words mean? 
and it gives us a better understanding. That's a lot of work. These guys are probably thinking, this is way more than I want to do on a Sunday morning. I want to come on Sunday morning, zone out, and say, okay, I was here. <laughs> but no, we're like getting into it and saying, trying really hard to figure out what this means. But you can read it. You can study it. You can write it on a 3 by 5 card. You can write it on the front of your hand. But you just got to do something to submit it in your brain. Don't say it's too hard. I know it's hard. I remember as a kid, I learned, it seems like 150 Awana verses. What do I remember now? Only the ones that I remembered then, right? As I get older, it gets harder. But you just keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and eventually it will stick. Proverbs uh, chapter 2 talks a lot about this. It's, it talks about searching for wisdom is searching for gold. And, and that's a lot of work. It takes lots of, it doesn't mean, every, you know, every time you go searching for gold, if you ever have tried, I haven't. But I don't think every time you hit the rock, you find another piece of gold. It takes lots of sweat. There are probably days and weeks where you don't find anything, but you keep looking and you keep searching. And if you keep searching, you will find it. And let me tell you, it's kind of an exciting thing to, to be able to find these things out for yourself. And it gives you more confidence when you are in a conversation with somebody. I know you didn't start out knowing it. I know you started out as a baby in the womb. All you could do was kick and cry. But you found things that you liked. You say, okay, it's worth putting my time into learning this. And I just want to encourage you, challenge you, convict you, whatever it takes uh, to persuade you to make sure you know what you believe and why. It's going to make a difference in your life, and it could make a difference in the internal life of somebody else. So being challenged, be encouraged. Make sure you know what you believe and why. Uh, just take that home with you today. Let's pray.